Good morning, good morning and welcome. My name is Zhenya, I'm one of the pastors here and I'm so excited to greet you this morning. Welcome also to our uh, church participants who are worshiping with us online today, our friends and Cisco United Methodist Fellowship are also joining us online. Thank you so much for all of you being here. I would encourage you to um, register your attendance if you are here in the church, in the sanctuary with us. You can use the pads that are on the side of each pew and then pass them along as the people uh, sit next to you on the pew. And if you are worshiping online, would you please use the tools that are available on your platform to let us know who is there with you. And uh, now let us prepare our hearts for worship. Reverend Brenda, one of the pastors here. As you are able, would you please stand and join me in our call to worship? Please remain standing for our hymn 64, Holy, Holy, Holy. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Worthy is Christ who has ransomed us by his blood from every tribe and tongue and nation and made his people a kingdom and a priest to our God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, you gave your son Jesus Christ a realm where all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Make us loyal followers of our living Lord, that we may always hear his word, follow his teachings, and live in his spirit, and hasten the day when every knee shall bow to your eternal glory. Amen.
And now let us affirm our faith together found in your hymnal on page 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amber Shive, and I get to help out in the children's ministry. Mr. Mark's a little under the weather today, so I'm filling in his Converse shoes. Um, but I'd like to invite all the children down, so if you'd like to come on down. everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Everybody's woken up from their turkey comas over the last few days. Everybody's doing good? Yes. Yes. Well, we just finished the Thanksgiving season, and I don't know if you can tell by the wonderful decorations, but we're focusing on another season now. Does anybody know what it is? Yes. And at Christmas, we have a whole lot of talk about Jesus whenever he was a baby, don't we? We don't talk a whole lot about Jesus being a king, and this is actually Christ the King Sunday. So happy Christ the King Sunday, everybody. It's a good day. And so we have a little game that we're going to play today, but I want to teach you a little bit of sign language to go along with the game. So the first piece of sign language, my helper Jack is going to help us out, if you'll stand up for us. So you're going to need your pointer finger and your middle finger for this one. So hold up like a peace sign like this, and we can have everybody help us out. And then you're going to put your thumb between the two fingers, just like Jack's doing over here. And if you touch your shoulder with your two fingers and bring it down to your hip, that's sign language for king. Jesus was a king, so that's why we're learning the sign language for king. Let's try it again. So right at your shoulder and bring it down to your hip. And it's nice if you look sort of royal when you're doing it. So can you put your shoulders back nice and strong and look a little bit like a king or a queen? And you're going to go, king. 
very good job. So I'm going to read a story here in a minute. Anytime you hear the word king, I want you to use that new sign language, okay? But we've got one more that we're going to learn too. And that one's the sign for Jesus. And so for Jesus, you're going to need those two middle fingers again. And you're going to touch one finger to one palm and one finger to the other. So that's Jesus. Let's do it again. Very good job. One more time. And so anytime you hear Jesus in the story, you'll do the sign for Jesus. And then let's do king again. And remember, look really regal. Put those shoulders back. Good job. Okay, here we go. Throughout the history of the world, there have been many kings. Oh, very nice. Kings with great riches and jeweled crowns. Kings who thought they were the most important. Kings who got their power by hurting others. The time had come for the world to see a different type of king. For centuries, God's special prophets had predicted the coming of the new king. And then the time came and a child was born in Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. He was born in a stable and the first to welcome him were humble shepherds. How could Jesus be the king? This certainly wasn't what the world expected, but God had never been that interested in giving the world what we expected, but rather than what we need. The world needed Jesus. When Jesus grew, he showed his power in a very different way than earthly kings. He didn't lead a giant army or store up gold. Jesus's powers were helping those in need, reaching out to the lonely, healing the sick, and loving everyone, even if they didn't love him. One day, Jesus showed the kind of king he wanted to be. While big crowds gathered in Jerusalem to welcome him, he rode in on a donkey rather than a majestic horse. Jesus chose to be a humble king and a few days later, Jesus knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. Jesus chose to be a servant king. Oh, good job. I missed one. On the day Jesus died, people put a sign on the cross above him to make fun of him. It said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Good job, guys. But Jesus asked God to forgive them. Jesus chose to be a forgiving king. Long after Jesus rose from the grave, encouraged his friends to live in love, and went to heaven, people were calling him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What if today, when we think about Jesus, we think of him as the king of love? What if we think about earthly kings and we hope for those who are more like Jesus? So happy Christ is the King Sunday, everybody. And as we get ready for all of the wonderful things about Christmas, let's think about what a wonderful King Jesus was. If you'd like to join us upstairs, we're going to go have some more fun. We'll learn some more. So you can come right up to this door right over here, or you can come join your families. Thank you all so much. And let us stand together as we sing our hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. <laughs>
Good morning. My name is Kevin Walters. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition, and invite you to read along in your own Bible or in one of the pew Bibles in front of you. The scripture is on page 191 in the New Testament in the pew Bible. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the work of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God speaks to us through the reading of scripture. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kevin. Before we consider today's scripture reading or today's message, I want to share words of gratitude and thanksgiving. Uh, thank you so much to all of our wonderful musicians for leading us in worship this morning. I want to thank all the folks who are involved in ministry with children, youth, and adults all over our campus. The hospitality team and the tech team for connecting us. Thank you so much. To the folks who are watching online right now on the app, whether you're somewhere in DFW, whether you're in an airport somewhere right now, whether you're listening while you drive down the road, may the angels of 35 watch over you in grace and peace as you travel. I hope you have a safe trip home today. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And I normally preach most every Sunday, but I've had two weeks off the last few weeks. Our youth led two Sundays ago, and they did the entire service, including four excellent sermonettes. Last Sunday, Pastor Samuel led the sermon. And so I've had a couple weeks to just actually sit with this scripture reading in preparing for this Sunday. And I want to let you know, as, as I come to the pulpit this morning, I feel wonderful. I'm in more than just a good mood. I am in a good mood, but good moods are transient. They come and go. I'm in something more than a good mood, something that feels a little stronger and a little more resilient. I feel hope-filled. I feel secure, and I feel strong, and I really feel like it's dwelling for two weeks with this scripture that has me feeling this way. In, in verse 18, Paul has something very specific he's saying to his audience. He's praying for them, and he's hoping that the eyes of their hearts are enlightened. The eyes of their hearts are literally lit up so they can perceive what is the hope to which Jesus has called them. He hopes that the eyes of their heart are lit up so that they can see the hope that Jesus has for them. And I've been thinking about that so much over the last few weeks. It's really impacted my life. It's impacting how I'm feeling today, and that's what I want to share with you today. And I also want to explain why it is that we have such beautiful and unique decorations on the altar today. But before we can do any of that, we have to talk a little bit of college football. Amen? 
tis the season for that. And I need to share with you something that's happening in my family right now. So I have four children, the oldest of which is 11 years old. And 11 is the perfect time to be obsessed with sports because you're old enough to understand everything, but you're young enough that none of it has any context. And that's exactly what's happening to my 11-year-old. And his favorite team of any sport, any team, anything, is the University of Texas football team. That's his favorite team. And I have a little bit of something to do with that. I went to the University of Texas, but the real source of this is my mother-in-law. So I'm a UT fan, but I'm the kind of UT fan who's asleep by halftime. Whenever kickoff is, I'm asleep by halftime, so my fandom's pretty low. My mother-in-law is insane. She is guest bathroom, everything orange level of fan. And so for his entire life, watching the game with grandma has been a huge part. And it has taken his fandom to unsustainable levels. And something unique is happening in his life this year. And that is for pretty much the first time in his memory, the team is pretty good, y'all. They're not bad. They're 10 and 1 so far this year. They are good enough that hoping for the playoffs or even a national championship spot is realistic. But there's a problem. And that's what's making it into the sermon today. It's because his favorite team is having the best season of his entire life, but he wants so desperately for them to go to the playoffs or the national championship game, but they don't control their own destiny. They have one loss, and because of it, no matter what they do for the rest of the season, even if they win every game by 50, that's not enough to get them in. They don't control their own destiny. And so we're in a situation where unless something happens over here in Oregon and something happens over here in Florida State, they're just not even going to get a chance. And it's driving him crazy. We were having dinner with my wife's family yesterday, kind of the late catch-up Thanksgiving, and he's over in the corner and I hear him talking to Siri. Siri, what's the score of BYU-Oklahoma State? Because that has impact on strength of schedule in Big 12 championship, etc., etc. And I looked over and we've lost him. <laughs> They're having the best season of his entire life. His favorite team is doing great, but he's caught in this existential angst. And that the thing for which he hopes and yearns for is ultimately not only outside of his control, it's even outside of theirs. So... That's a simple little example, right? That's a very low stakes, very easy example. Ultimately, it's, it's just a sport. It's just fandom. But even in that situation, we can relate to the deep pain and discomfort that comes from the fact that things that are outside of our control, over which we have literally no influence, can have incredible impact on our lives. I want to transition that into talking about things that are a little bit more weighty, and I think we've all seen over the course of the last year that discussions about artificial intelligence are on the rise. And in the same way when the internet was all of a sudden available to everyone, or in the same way in which we all started mobile computing with our phones a decade and a half ago, we sense a disruptive technology is on the move and it's going to impact our lives in the future. 
Most every single one of our industries, the places where we work, where we've made our careers, are going to be impacted by the rise of this technology. Our school systems and how our children learn are going to be impacted by this technology. How we communicate with our families 50 years from now, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, how we perceive the world, how we consume the news, how we connect as a community, how we receive medical care, how we receive our food. These things are not only going to be impacted by this technology, but it's going to be determined by the decisions made by other people over which we have no input whatsoever. That's kind of a scary feeling if you look into it, isn't it? A couple weeks ago, I was reading the newspaper and there was a front page article that was talking about contractors for the Department of Defense and their effort to put AI-powered machines on the front lines of battle armed with weapons. And I, I screamed at the newspaper. I went, no. And the reason why is because I saw a movie. It's a documentary from the 80s. It's called Terminator. <laughs> and the theme of that movie is don't give the robots guns. <laughs> and so I saw that. That's just an idea, right? The decisions made by other people are going to have huge impact over our lives. You know, we've all just lived through a global pandemic. We had no control over it. We could do our little things on a local level, but ultimately it was something that was completely outside of our control, massively impactful on our lives, and so much grief and suffering and loss, economics, health, families, communities, churches, all of it over something over which we had no control. I'm thinking about the wars that are taking place now, acts of terrorism, the suffering of so many. It causes us to grieve. It causes us to mourn. It causes us to lose hope. And over each of it, none of us has any power. There is a tragedy that befell our broader community over the course of the last week I'd like to share with you. It was very impactful to a huge percentage of the families in the gathering, one of the worship services here at our church. There's a family called the Muckleroys, and um, they had an accident that took place uh, over the course of the um, uh, holiday weekend on Wednesday. Uh, Zach Muckleroy and his wife Lauren, along with their two children, Lindsay and Judson, were driving down Highway 281 uh, on the road to Austin to visit Lindsay's family, and they were involved in a multi-car accident. I've heard multiple reports on what it was that caused the accident, so I'm not going to say what, because I'm not sure it was, but it's someone else made a mistake, and their vehicle was struck, and Zach and the two children, Lindsay and Judson, both perished in the accident. Lauren's been in a number of surgeries and is intensive care and just beginning to recover. This is a tragedy that has impacted huge percentages of Fort Worth. The uh, Mugglewoods are lifelong members of the city. Uh, Zach is a lifetime member of University Christian Church, serves on the Board of Elders there now, played football at TCU. Their kids go to McLean and Tanglewood. They're a part of the community. Thousands are grieving this tragic loss over the course of the holidays. And not only is it terrible, not only is it heartbreaking, but at the end of the day, we know that this kind of tragic accident is not what Jesus wants. This kind of death, this kind of destruction, this kind of tragedy is not what Christ wants, and yet it still happens. How do we have hope? It reminds me 
of my own family and a shadow that hangs over our Thanksgiving. That's the time when I learned of this accident. It happened last Wednesday. 17 years ago, my cousin was killed in a car accident. I have a small family, and my dad's sister had uh, two boys, Billy Joe and Aaron. Those were my closest cousins growing up, and I didn't get to see them a whole lot, but I always got to see them at Thanksgiving. 17 years ago, Billy Joe was driving home from a job, small highways out in East Texas, and um, there was an off-duty police officer who saw him driving, and they were able to piece together that and the autopsy to realize that just driving um, on the side of the, just driving normally down the road at 27 years old in perfect health, Billy Joe had an aneurysm and died behind the wheel. And dead behind the wheel, it crossed over into oncoming traffic, struck another vehicle, and that poor innocent man was also killed as a result of that accident. It's heartbreaking. It's tragic. Aneurysms behind the wheel. This isn't what Jesus wants. And even more, it's outside of our control. There's nothing anybody could do in that situation to change it. There's nothing anyone can do, the pandemic. There's nothing anyone can do right now here in these wars. We don't have control over them. They're impacting every single one of us. How do we have hope? How do we have faith? How do we live in the light of this reality? That's what we're focused on today. You know, one of the things that if anyone was to ask you about this church— you know, what, what are some of the characteristics of First United Methodist Church? What are some of the values that its preacher and leader has? You know, what can you tell me about it? One of the things I would love for you to say is that this church and its preacher really loves to take these powerful aspects of tradition that have shaped and changed the lives of people for hundreds of years and do so in a way that are relevant and meaningful and connect us into the larger stream of what God has been doing for decades and centuries around the world in ways that are powerful and present in our everyday life. That's something I love. That's something I think is so powerful and meaningful and unique about this place. And one of the ways in which we do it is the use of the liturgical calendar. That's an ancient Christian practice of using the calendar year, the passage of time in the seasons, to tell the story of Christ. And not only the story of Christ, but to help you find yourself in that story. To help you place yourself, your life, your hurts, your hopes in the midst of the story of Christ and what God is doing in us and through us and for us. And the liturgical year begins tomorrow. The liturgical year begins tomorrow, and it doesn't begin on Christmas Eve with the birth of Christ. It begins a few weeks before in a season called Advent. Advent means appearing or showing up. And so the season of Advent is reflecting on what it is to wait and need for God to show up amongst us in Christ Jesus. It's a reference and a time to reflect on how badly it is that we need God in our midst and a reflection on how God through prophets over the course of, the, of generations has been saying, this is where it's headed. This is where I'm going. This is what I'll do for you. Christmas Eve, of course, is the time where we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. No spoilers. And then the beginning of the next year, we tell the story of Jesus' life and his teachings, his miraculous healings, his proclamation of the coming kingdom of God. That's not only breaking in, but that's changing things for them and for you and for everybody else. Over the season of Lent, we reflect on how deeply we need to receive that message in the midst of our own broken lives and the great cost that Jesus bears for being God with us. 
We reflect on the reality of his death, his crucifixion, his burial, and the amazing world-changing miracle of his resurrection. Immediately following, we focus on the people who are following the risen Christ leading to his ascension and then the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that's present and at work in your lives, in this room, right now, today, so that you can feel and know God's love and care for you. Over the season of the summer, we reflect on, okay, well, what do we do? How do we live? How do we accept this good news and allow it to change our life? our hearts, our families, our places of business, our communities, our schools? How do we make this news our news, this story our story? And if that's how we tell the story of Christ over the course of the year, my question is, well, where does it end? I mean, if that's the first Sunday, well, what's the last Sunday? The last Sunday of the Christian year is today. It's called Christ the King Sunday. And it's a focus on the reality that Jesus ascended in heaven is not absent or disinterested. Christ is present and at work, seated at the right hand of the Father, just like we say in the creed every Sunday, and at work through his power, working in and changing the world in ways seen and unseen to bring it into alignment just as God would have it be. The historic colors are white and gold. It's always celebrated with lights. It's a time for us to revel in the majesty that we worship a king, that we're in love with a king, that we serve a king who is not only good, who is not only love, but who is present and at work, greater than and over anything that could cause us to lose hope. When the writer of Ephesians is reaching out to a community in hurt and in need. He knows that they're suffering. He knows that they have so many reasons to stop and say, we believe in Christ. We receive his good news. We see transformation, and yet we are still suffering. There is still so much pain. There is still so much loss. There is still so much hurt. And some of it we have control over. Some of it we can influence. Some of it we can change with our decisions and our actions. But some of it is so wildly out of our control. How do we live in this place? And it's to those people the apostle is writing and saying, I give thanks for you and for your faithfulness, and for your goodness, and for your hard work. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can see the promises that Christ has for you, which includes him seated at the right hand of the Father, not someday, but now, which includes him in the spot of ultimate authority over everything, not someday, but now. And in that place of working and transformation and change, his power and and authority is greater than anything you can see around you or anything you could yet imagine. He's talking to people who, because of their social location or their background or the place in which they've been born, might very likely be impoverished, might very likely suffer from an inability to have any control of their financial lives, might have no avenue towards self-improvement or the building of wealth. 
might be subject over and over again to physical or sexual abuse, might themselves be enslaved or forced to fight or defend foes over which they have no interest in engaging. They might be persecuted. They might be condemned. They might be martyred for their faith. And in the midst of that kind of suffering and marginalization and hurt and fear and doubt, Paul writes to them and says, those things are heartbreaking. Those things are wrong. Those things are a reasonable cause to grieve and mourn. And yet, Christ is king over and above all. And in the midst of this suffering, your soul is eternal. Your destiny is guaranteed and your hope is secure. Your soul is eternal. Your destiny guaranteed. Your hope is secure. Your soul in the midst of this suffering and loss, this illness and death is eternal. And your destiny in the midst of all of this that you're trying to overcome is secure. And your hope is guaranteed. It's true. It's powerful. It's real. It's at work. And if the eyes of your heart could be illuminated to just see it, it will change everything, he tells them. So when I come to you and I say, man, I'm feeling like really good today. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's a little bit of UT football in that. And there's, there's a lot of turkey in that, right? There's a lot of family and time off and vacation in that. But I'm not oblivious. I'm not oblivious. I live in the same world in which you live. And it's a world in which the isms that have torn society apart for thousands of years are still at work. It's a world in which inexplicable wars fought by the wicked claim the lives of the innocent over and over and over again. It's a world of untreatable cancer. It's a world of aneurysms and heart attacks. It's a world of inflation or economic insecurity. It's a world of uncertain systems of government. It's a world where things on which we have come to rely might all of a sudden seem unstable. I'm not oblivious, but I'm full of hope because I worship a Christ who's not just a redeemer and a restorer, but is a king, is a ruler who has promised that everything that you've seen and everything you can't even imagine yet, the AIs of the future, the technologies of the future, the systems of the future, the challenges of the future, the things that haven't even crossed your mind yet, those things also under my dominion. So he says to me, Lance, would you just let the eyes of your heart be enlightened to receive the hope that I'm promising you, which is that your soul, the part of you that matters the most, the you that's the you when you think about you, it's eternal. And your destination is promised. And your hope is secure. Your soul is eternal. Your destination is promised. Your hope is secure. 
So in the face of this world unwinding the difference between the truth of God's kingdom and the fact that it's not yet as it all will someday be, remember, I'm over it all, he says. And you can place your trust in me. So may you live this week in the face of whatever it is that stands like a monolith between what you see and the good life you hope for for yourself or others, whether it's illness, whether it's economic insecurity, whether it's family fights, whether it's addiction, whether it's theological questions, whatever it is that seems like an immeasurable gulf between you and real hope, know that Christ is greater than that. And he invites you to live, not just believe, not just trust, but live and be changed by that promise because he is king. Not just then, not just someday, but now for you. Let it change you today. Let's pray. Christ our King, born in a manger, an itinerant minister proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God, worker of miracles, healer of bodies, proclaimer of the nature of the Father, guider of our prayers, crucified Messiah, dead and buried, resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven, enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Lord, all honor and praise and glory is yours now and forever. Help us, your children, receive into our hearts today the hope that you have given for us, the assurance that in all things and through all things and above all things is your glorious grace. The people of your world need your hope. Lord, let us open our hearts to receive it not just for our sake, but for the sake of your people. Guide us, keep us, shape us in your image, and it's in trust and hope in your power and presence that together we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now I will invite our ushers to come forward to receive our offering. 
I'm so grateful that because of your giving, because of your tithing, your generosity, our church's ministry extends far beyond this hour where we gather together for worship. We bring hope and life-giving message of the good news of Jesus Christ all the days of the week by serving our community here in Fort Worth, by bringing good news of God's love to people that need it the most. So will you now please pray with me for our offering? Loving and gracious God, I give you thanks for your abundant generosity and love and for all of the good things that we receive from you every single day and for this special blessed opportunity to be able to give, to share, to participate with you in the kingdom growth and the transformation of the world that is happening all around us. Bless these gifts and guide us in a way to use them for the blessing of the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you are a guest with us today, thank you so much for worshiping here with us. We do have a gift for you, and I encourage you to stop by our on-ramp station and introduce yourself to Angie and Ryan. They will be happy to welcome you to our church. If any of you have a question about the ministries of our church, different classes and groups, that maybe something that you want to try, also ask them what we have, and they'll help you connect and figure out the schedule and where and when to show up to see how Christ can transform your life. We also take prayer very seriously in our church. And here on the right side, Marsha with the Congregational Care Ministries will be there after the worship service. If you would like somebody to pray with you, if you would like somebody to pray for you, Marsha will be there. Just come introduce yourself and uh, have a sacred time of prayer together. Also, just a reminder that we have a lot of decorating to do around the church. Tuesday evening of this week, we're going to be bringing out all the Christmas decorations, uh, which includes the Chrismon trees and a bunch of other things all throughout the church, and you're invited to participate in that. If you're someone who's already fully decorated your house and you're looking around going, what now? This is what's next. So if you would come up and let Angie and Ryan know, we'll make sure to have enough dinner for you. We're going to have a light supper for all of those volunteers. It is a great way to make friends, and you'll just really get a full sense of the Christmas spirit over the sense of the season. So hope you make chance uh, and participate in that. Now, our gathering will soon be ended. Where will we go, and what will we do? May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen.